Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. The ladies were the first at the tomb. They were the first ones to see that the tomb was empty. Given the message by the angels, they went to the disciples who were gathered. Peter and John had a foot race. John was the first to reach the tomb. Peter, when he arrived, went right by John and went into the tomb to see that it was empty, just as the ladies had said. Inside the tomb, he saw the folded garments neatly set aside. And those men, though they had been with Jesus for three years, three years, they traveled with Jesus, he called them, they walked with him, they journeyed with him, they ministered with him. And on that morning, they realized there is so much more that we need to learn about this Savior. They saw him alive, he ascended, the church was born, and if we fast forward about 60 years, we come back to the Apostle John, who was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He was persecuted for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to go in your Bibles, and we're going to go to the first chapter of Revelation. Last week when we studied, we looked at Revelation chapter 5, and we saw that the Lamb is worthy. This morning, the title of the message, and we're just going to focus in on the last part of chapter 1, but it's the Lamb is overcome. That He is worthy and He is overcome. When John saw what we are going to read that he described for us, he saw the resurrected and exalted Savior in all of his glory, and he fell at his feet as dead. And Jesus, in love and great mercy, reaches down and strengthens him and stands him up. The unveiling of Jesus... Chapter 1, verse 1 of Revelation. The revelation, or another word there that you can use, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne." And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn, or you could say the preeminent one of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, 
priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen. Verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So that's what we call as the church. This is Sunday. That's why we gather today. The resurrection changed the day of worship. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. These will be the verses for our major consider consideration today. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are yet to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Maybe you're familiar in hearing that after the word is read in churches where that statement is said. That comes from what we just read in, in Revelation 1-3, through that, the, 1, 3, that there's a blessing to the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and there's a blessing to those who hear, and there's a blessing to those who keep. It's not just about hearing the word of God. How much do we know? How much do I have memorized? How much am I putting into practice in my life? How obedient am I? How obedient are we? So this morning's sermon is straight to the heart. It's the first distinctive of, uh, that we have as a church, Christ-centered preaching. And so John is laying out this case as Jesus is unveiled. And this is where we began uh, the, not long after my first Sunday. Our first Sunday here was 2006, Easter Sunday. And here we are all of these years later, but the first series was Who is Jesus Christ? It was a little overwhelming to be called, and I, what are we going to do? What have we done for the past 
you know, 17 years, we go through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, New Testament, Old Testament, and we haven't finished it yet, all right? We still have more yet to cover. We're not done yet, but this is the, this is the foundation point. Who is Jesus Christ? And John is clearly unveiling. He's telling us this is who Jesus is. First of all, we see that Jesus is the eternal Son of God and Son of Man. There's no one like Jesus. He's incomparable and he is incomprehensible. He is the eternal Son of God and Son of Man. And we've already read how John was affected by seeing Jesus in all of his glory and it left him laid out in the dirt. Just like everyone else in Scripture when they see the glory of God, when they're in the presence of the Lord. Now I know there's a lot of books and there's movies and there's all kinds of testimonies that people have given as to what happened when they uh, supposedly died and went to heaven. But here is Scripture here is the great apostle John. And notice that he's just not standing, looking around, taking it all in. He is laid out in the dirt. And then let me tell you, loved ones, that is the right response to the holiness of God. The message of the resurrection is not how you can have a better life. The resurrection is not how you can have a, you know, be better at parenting, better in your finances, better in, get a little advantage on other people because after all, the resurrection. The resurrection addresses the key, pivotal, main issue and it's our, we're all infected with it and it's called sin, thanks to our father, Adam. That's why we're broken inside. That's why we need a healer to mend our broken hearts. And we're all broken in this way until we come to Jesus, the healer. He's the one who puts the broken pieces back together and we wait until we see him face to face and then he finishes that work that he's begun in those who have trusted in him. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. Isn't that what the angel said to the shepherds? And they out in the hillside, they're just minding their own business, watching the sheep. And angels are glory to God in the highest. Hey, don't be afraid. Angel comes to Mary. Angel comes to Joseph. Fear not. I have good news for you. And Jesus says to John, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. So we see it broken down. Jesus said to John, I am the first. The Greek Alphabet, the first letter is Alpha. And Jesus says, I'm the first. He was before all things. He lays his hand upon John. He strengthens him. Here we see John again, the son of thunder, receiving the grace and the mercy and the tender loving kindness that the Lord Jesus gave to him. And he's perfecting him. He's changing him. Jesus' claim here is an unmistakable claim to deity. I am the first. Only God was before all things. God alone is eternal and uncreated. This was just applied to the Lord God in our reading in chapter 1, verse 4 and verse 8. Revelation 1, 4, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's speaking of the Lord. In verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
This claim that Jesus made to eternality was explicit. And when he walked the earth, and sometimes you will hear people saying, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. You know, he, he never taught and said, I am God. Well, we go to John chapter 8, and we don't have to We don't have time to cover all of those, but when Jesus is teaching the I am statements that are in John chapter 8, the Israelites, his countrymen, they knew exactly what he was saying. Because when God came to Moses after his 40-year internship in the wilderness, and he listened to the cries of his people in Egypt, and he went and he met with Moses through that burning bush, and he said, Moses, I'm sending you, I've heard my people, and I'm sending you, and you, through you, the people will gain deliverance. And this is what Moses said to God in Exodus 3.13. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You see how that that is refining? Abraham had other descendants. Isaac had other descendants. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So when Jesus came teaching and preaching and proclaiming the kingdom, John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews knew what he was saying. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That wasn't the day to die. That wasn't how he was going to die. That wasn't the way he was going to die. And he is God, and he was in control of that. Remember what he said? No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And so he walked right out through them, and they could do nothing on that day. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the first, and then Jesus says, I am the last. I am the last. Well, that's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. What is he saying here? I am the point of all things. He is the point of all things. He is the author and finisher of our faith, the Bible tells us. He is the point. It's all about not you and not me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And you might be here this morning and say, well, that's not how I live. Oh, I, I don't submit to that. I don't believe in that. I love you enough to offend you because your soul is on the line. And without understanding the gospel, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it's, what is the point? Uh, I love our kids' answers, but it's not Easter eggs. That's not the point. Well, there's fun that we can have in celebration, and we will. But the point is, we were all headed to a place called hell, created for the devil and his angels. And unless God made a way, we have no chance. And if we get what is fair, if, we get what I, if I get what I deserve, it is hell. We start from there with the gospel. So when he says, I'm the last, 
This is where we see the worth and the value of the lamb. Paul writes to the Colossians. Colossians 1.17, and he, and he's talking about Jesus, is before all things, Alpha, and in him all things hold together. It's by his word. He holds everything together. He is holding you together today. He is allowing your lungs and my lungs to breathe right this very second. He's keeping all of the planets in, in, in their alignment and in their place and the sun exactly where he spoke it into existence it's right there so it doesn't burn us up and we don't freeze exactly the distance it needed to be from earth so that humanity could survive so that we could see the glory and grace and majesty and redemption of our god the writer of hebrews he says it this way it's an introduction to a sermon which is what the book of hebrews is it's a sermon preaching christ and he says long ago and this is the old testament here Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, this is New Testament, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Okay, that means it's all going to him, through whom, and he's speaking about Jesus, he also created the world. There's the beginning. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. He holds it all together. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? There it is. After making purification for our sins, he sat down, he finished it is finished. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is, is more excellent than the angels. This is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the first, I'm the last. And he also said to John, I'm the living one. He's alive. This is a stark contrast to every idol that's ever been made in the minds and the hearts of depraved humanity, fashioning a God, whether it be out of metal or whether it be out of plastic or whether it be out of, you know, wood, stone, fashioning a God to bow down and serve. We've mentioned it. Isaac and Gloria Shah will be here with us next week. Many of you have not met them yet. You want to come early? get some you know, good stuff and coffee, come in here at nine o'clock and they're gonna be sharing about their ministry and then he's gonna preach in the 10 o'clock service. I love this family. When I was with them in 2011 in India, Isaac explained to us, he said, as we're going these different places and you see these idols that are made and these different places of worship and shrines, he said, you're gonna see that their eyes are are large, they're oversized, because what they believe with 330 million gods in India is that there is a communing with the demons, and so the eyes to the eyes, and he said this, our culture is just filled with demonic worship, but the idol itself is a nothing. The demons behind those idols that steal away the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, those are real darkness. And Jesus said, I am the living one. When Moses entered into Egypt for that deliverance, the creator God took on deity by deity by deity in Egypt. 
10 plagues, left Egypt decimated. That was all representation of the frogs and all of the different gods, the sun god, the water, all of that. And one by one by one, Yahweh demonstrated he is superior and he is worthy of worship. Well, the children of Israel would make it through the wilderness, finally get into the land. And then they had an enemy that was the Philistines. There was a battle and it wasn't going well, so someone had the idea on the Israelite side, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant like a rabbit's foot. We'll have, we'll have our lucky charm with us. We'll bring God with us into the battle. This is the people of God. And so there's this loud cheer, like we're going to win now. And the Philistines hear this and they start to get nervous and a general stands up and says, hey, knock it off. We're not losing to the Hebrews today. And they didn't. They won the battle. They took the Ark of the Covenant. They brought it back to their own temple for their own God, Dagon, and they put it in the temple and 1 Samuel 5 picks up the account. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. All right, so far, we're like, hey, this is Israel's God and this is our God, buddies. This is going to be great. They can just hang out in the temple that we've made for them. Well, it doesn't go this way. Verse 3, and when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, check this out, don't miss this, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Oops. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. Verse 4, but when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why, a little note of explanation here, this is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in, house, in Ashdod to this day. Well, that didn't work. We lost. Jesus is the eternal Son of God and Son of Man. And secondly, in Revelation, we see that he's the victorious living Savior. There is no one like him. The lamb that was slain that we looked at so closely last week, he is alive. Jesus conquered death. He conquered hell and the grave. And so he says here in Revelation 1, verse 18, the living one, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. He is the victorious living Savior. There's no one in his category. He was crucified. He said, I died. He had to be 100% human to live and to die, and he was. Islam scoffs at this. They are so offended in their belief. You mean to tell me that God would ever be in a body and, and go through all of the things that the human body goes through? No way. This is impossible. This is inconceivable. You will never convince them humanly that God would ever do this, and yet that is exactly what Scripture says. Jesus had to be made one of us to die as a substitute in our place to represent us, and he did. Jesus had 
to suffer the excruciating pain of the cross. And when you use the word excruciating, the cross is in that word. It's intrinsic to that word. To bear the weight of what our sin demanded, and he did. He chose the nails. He chose the cross. He chose the crown of thorns for you and for me. Jesus died after proclaiming. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. His work of redemption was just getting going. And as everyone looked at that scene and Jesus laid down and he breathed his last, it looked like a complete failure, humanly. Even the demons in all of hell would have thought, there it is, that's the best God has to offer, and we are victorious. But that was Friday. And there's a great song that goes with this. From an old-time message, Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. He was resurrected. And he said, behold, hey, John, you know it. You were there. You saw me die. I put the care of my mother into your hands, John. You saw me die and you saw me alive. You were at the edge of the tomb. Yeah, you got there before Peter did, but Peter went right on in. That's Peter, isn't it? He's like, I'm not standing out here. Like, is there an usher saying you can't go in? I'm going in. I want to be where Jesus is. I want to find out where is he. He was resurrected. Remember what the angel said to the woman? The women, Luke 24, verse 5, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. Do you see what happens when humans interact with angels and John with Jesus? We're left low. But the men, the angel said to them, why, why are you here in the cemetery? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's alive. And he was seen alive by many witnesses. And it would cost them their lives, almost all of them, to tell the message of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Paul says to the church in Corinth, he said, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You see how it's all grounded in Scripture. Died, buried, rose again the third day. This is exactly what we were told. And that, in verse 5, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, these are the witnesses, so, so Paul is giving the resume. These are the people that if you doubt this, go talk to them in the first century. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's biblical terminology for a Christian who dies, sleep. You fall asleep in this life, and you're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he appeared, verse 7, to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I hated the church. I hated the gospel. I, didn't, I was offended whenever I heard people talk about Jesus. He said, I persecuted the church of God. But what's that next word? But. So yeah, maybe you came in here today, 
and you're living your life and everything is where it's at, but you're not submitted to Jesus. That was Paul when he was called Saul of Tarsus. But, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Don't pat me on the back. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Whoever's preaching the gospel, the gospel is the deal, not the preacher. So Jesus says, listen, I'm alive forevermore. He's alive forevermore. He was crucified, resurrected. He's alive forevermore. Lazarus, he was raised to life for a little while and then he died again. Not Jesus. Jesus died once. He was humiliated once, but never again. He raised the third day and he ascended to the right hand of his Father in heaven and there he lives always to intercede on the behalf of his children those who have repented of their sins, what does that mean? Own it. Stop blaming and say, it's me. I'm the guilty one. I've offended God. To all who repent and trust in Christ alone, he will greatly save them. Romans 6, Paul wrote in verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So we do not commemorate forever Jesus hanging on a cross. That was once he was humiliated. He will never be humiliated again, loved ones. He lives now. And this life that he lives, he lives to God. So Hebrews 7 and verse 22, this, this whole work of Jesus, makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests, so Israel had all of those priests down through the years, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. How come you didn't serve all the time? Oh, he died. Oh, I guess we got to get another priest. Yeah, because the last one died. But Jesus, verse 24, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Well, what good is that then? Well, how, what does this message mean to us? Here's what it means. It pushes open the door of heaven. You saw that in the sounds of, of, of resurrection, of Easter, the, the veil was torn. And this is what it means. Consequently, verse 25, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He identifies with us who are in Christ that we have said, I'm guilty, I need a savior. He saves us and he, he identifies with us and he makes intercession on our behalf. He is ready, he is willing, and he is able to save you. But you must come to him. So he's victorious, he's the living savior. And number three, he's the exalted king of kings and lord of lords. There is no king like Jesus. There was no priest like Jesus. There's no king like Jesus. <clears throat> if we have surrendered our lives to Christ, we have no reason to fear. John, get up, buddy. Puts his hand on him, fear not. 
But loved ones, if you are not in Christ, then allow your fear of judgment to invite you and drive you to Jesus where you'll find mercy and grace for your soul. Throughout human history, men and women have risen to heights of power. They've attempted to rule over all, but every one of them have failed except Jesus. Last week, we were Revelation 5, who is worthy to take the scroll? And at first, it was silent, nobody. But the lamb is worthy. When I was uh, in India with Isaac and Gloria, they took us down to Fort Agra. Over my uh, left shoulder there is the Taj Mahal. And the fort that is here was built, and it's just an amazing fort. And I happened to be sitting on the throne of, let me see if I can pronounce his name. We, we, we got through it in the first service. Mirza Shehbab Adadin Muhammad Karim. That's probably very horrible pronunciation. He has a shorter name, and he reigned from 1628 till 1658. 30 years. His title, and we heard this repeatedly from our guide that day going through the Fort Agra, Shah Jahan I. That's his throne. Shah Jahan means king of the world. Guess who's sitting on the king of the world's throne? Yeah, that's me. You can see the crack through it where a cannonball hit the throne and broke it. There's other places in that palace that had holes from cannonballs. He lived and he died. And now you can go to Fort Agra and you can get your picture taken on the king of the world's throne. Can you imagine me walking in that day if he was still alive? Saying, excuse me, can I get a picture on your throne, king of the world? Off with his head. Like I wouldn't make it. I'd be dead. There's no way. But the king of the world, so-called Shah Jahan I, he's been gone a long time. But Jesus, he rules over all of life. He rules over all of life. While Shah Jahan was king, the, the Mughals, that empire reached its pinnacle. And then it fell apart. Jesus rules over all of life. He said, I have the keys of death and Hades. In John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He rules over all life. We live and we die to the Lord. When Lazarus, Jesus' friend, died, and Martha and Mary had sent word, and Jesus waited. They didn't come right away. John eleven twenty three. 23, finally Jesus is there, and Martha questions him, where were you? And Jesus responds to her in this way, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, we will die. We will all die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, listen to me, Martha, listen to me, everyone under the sound of my voice. As Jesus said, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Loved one, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe, this is what our kids just sang, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I believe. Martha believed. Have you believed? 
Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he rules over life and Jesus rules over death. He said, I have the keys of death and Hades. Jajahan, he didn't have the keys of life and death. He didn't have the keys of death and hell. Jesus said, I have the keys. It simply means that expression that Jesus possesses all the power and all the authority over life and death. That's everything, in case we're missing it. Like life, death, what else is there? That's the keys to everything. So the Christian's life, death, and resurrection to eternal life are secure in the hands of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. The non-Christian's death is a guarantee of judgment and eternal punishment, and that's also in the hands of the one who still bears the marks of crucifixion in his body. And everyone will be before his throne and the one that we declared he was worthy of death and we shouted crucify him. He is the one that is worthy to pass judgment on all the rest of humanity. And every eye will see him as the lamb slain for sinners and resurrected and exalted. To come back to Philippians 2 verse 9, therefore, Paul says, and we've been studying this in our Study through the letter of Philippians. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the exalted King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is he your king? Have you confessed him as your king and your Lord? And lastly, in these last two verses, we see that Jesus is the sovereign head of his glorious church. He's the sovereign head of his glorious church. So he doesn't ask any people anywhere for permission. That's what it means to be sovereign. We're going to hear from Isaac next week of persecution that is intensifying in India. And the church in India and the church in everywhere around the world is his church. And he's sovereign over the times of peace and the times of persecution. He's sovereign over all of it. So Jesus tells John, hey, John, write, write this down. Write down this vision. I want you to put it in record of what you've seen and the things that are happening now and the things that will take place in the future. This would be recorded and delivered to the seven churches. And ultimately, here we are 2,000 years later and we're still studying this word. Verse 19, write therefore the things that you, and here's a helpful way. I'm, I'm actually through Revelation 5 and Revelation 1 encouraging you, like don't be afraid of the book of Revelation. And be careful of the people who try to make it completely mysterious and ununderstandable. Nobody can understand it. Jesus gives the key right here to the book of Revelation. Hey, John, chapter 1, the things that you have seen. Chapter 2 and 3, those that are. And chapter 4 through the rest of the book and those that are to take place after this. Verse 20, Revelation 1, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here Jesus gives the exposition. He explains, this is what you're seeing. This is the symbolism. This is what it is, that Jesus owns the messengers. 
He's the sovereign head of his glorious church, and Jesus owns the messenger. He says, seven stars, you see them in my right hand? They're mine. So this letter is going to go to seven churches. Churches have pastors. Those are leaders of the church. And there were some blessings, and there was was also some uh, conviction that was coming to some of the churches of unfaithfulness and impurity that was in the church. And so Jesus is saying, those seven messengers, they're in my hand. They're mine. I own them, and I send them wherever I want them to go. Are you content to be in the hand of a sovereign God? Or are you buying the lie that you're in control of your life? And he needs to wait. Wait your turn, creator God, and I'll get around to you. Doesn't that sound dangerously wrong? So they're in my hand. Churches have leadership. These are under shepherds, and they rest securely in the hands of Christ. They're to be servants of the Lord Jesus and shepherds to his people. Pastors are not owned by the church, and they surely do not own the people that are in their church. I'm steward of you. You are not my property. We all belong to the Lord Jesus, and we, I, as elders, we will give an account to the Lord for how we shepherded his people. He said, they're in my hand. This last week, we were back at a, the church that we came from down in Sterling Heights for a funeral. One of the kids that was in our youth group, uh, now he's a pastor there, and his mom passed away. And so Ginger Lowell and I, we were back at, at the church, and we were just through there. And, and, and it calls to mind in, in this chapter, the pastor, when we were there in 2005, he began preaching through Revelation. Now, remember the sermon that he gave, and, you know, was given, and I, we were sitting, you know, somewhere down off the side of the platform. This is a great sermon, Revelation series, and he was saying that these messengers, pastors, are under shepherds. They're in the hand of the Lord, and he can send them wherever he wants to send them. That's great. He can send them wherever he wants to send them. And how many ever months later, I'm called into the office on a Wednesday night, and people had lost their jobs, the economy. We just had so many people. We had built a building, just expenses. And the group met with me, and they said, we have to let you go. Bon voyage. So I came out, and we walked out from uh, this night, uh, this last week, and I told Lola, and, and she wasn't alive yet, you know, because there was Ginger in the rendezvous, and, and uh, Emma was in there, and, and Sophie was in there, and they were waiting on me and waiting on me and waiting on me. I come out, and Ginger's like, what was that all about? Well, our time here's done, and we're going to be finding a new church. And she said, I told you you should be sending a resume out, you know. I was like, well, I didn't know. Now I know. We just got launched, and we entered into a time of six months. So it was six months from that point until we started right here in 2006. But that message might seem like, oh, you mean you can get wherever, you're supposed to go wherever? Yeah, that's actually very comforting. And he had a place, and that message took root in my heart while we had no clue where we were going, but the Lord did. And he took us and put us exactly where he's planted us, Jesus owns the messengers and loved ones. Jesus owns the churches. He owns the churches. They're his. And so I want you to listen that while so much is happening in the church, so many pastors are following the way of just just appease the culture and go with the culture, Jesus owns them. He owns his church. We're stewards, and we will give account to him. 
whether we were faithful or unfaithful. Jesus' plan for spreading his gospel, it's the church. It's the church. We're his bride and he's coming for us. We just sang that. We wait for his return. Jesus, uh, this is his picture. Paul says in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a high standard, guys. I thought it was Easter and you're getting on to the men. Yeah, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how much did Jesus love the church? What are the limits that I have to love my wife and serve my wife? Well, Jesus gave himself up for her. He died for her. So church, are we reflecting the love of Christ, that love? Are we reflecting it rightly in our homes, in our marriages? Are we reflecting the love of Christ, that love? Are we reflecting that love in our families? Are we reflecting that kind of self-sacrificing, others-minded love in the church for one another, for brothers and sisters in Christ of all ages? Are we reflecting that kind of love in our community and to the world? Because that is where people will stop and take notice. Why are you doing what you're doing? It's because of this kind of love. Because Jesus is the eternal Son of God and Son of Man. Jesus is the victorious living Savior. And he is the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's the sovereign head of his glorious church. And he's bought us with his own blood. That's why we say you're loved. Because he laid down his life. He conquered the grave. If you're here and you're in Christ, then all of your heart is saying, amen, 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 glory be to God. If you're here and you have not yet confessed Jesus as Lord, then right now you're conflicted. But I want you to hear me. Will you admit, like any Christian has, I'm a sinner. And I'm gonna be honest with God. I can't clean myself up enough and I can't do right enough. And I'm broken and I need a savior. In his love and in his mercy, he will save you. No matter how long you've lived or how rebellious you've been, how many times you've thrown up walls, he came out of that tomb so that you and I will come out of our grave one day and give, be given resurrection bodies in the presence of the Lord and not be separated from him. It's all a reversal of the curse in the garden where we were put out of fellowship. And God made a way for you. And you can't get there on your own. And I couldn't either. So he came to me and he's calling to you to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, to confess that Jesus is Lord. Surrender your life to him. He's the king He's worthy. He's worthy of all your life, your days, your praise. Give it to him. And if you do, whether you're online or here today, please don't leave without sharing that with me. That if you admit your sin and confess Jesus as your Lord, will you share that so we can help you take that next step of obedience, surrendering and living for the one who is worthy. Will you stand with me? Oh, God in heaven, 
to celebrate the risen Savior. What a joy, the rejoicing of our hearts, Lord. I thank you for your church. I thank you, Lord, for your bride, that you paid the cost that we could not pay so that I can stand here and freely offer salvation to every single person and say, repent and trust in Jesus, and he will save you right now because you paid the price. God, I thank you for that. Will you be glorified in the praises of your people as we worship you and we wait for your return? In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.